I think it's uh, even, even more so now important to try and keep getting thanks Dan, Jim. Uh, keep getting Bibles and tracts and anything else we can into any places that we can. It's incredibly difficult in schools, as I'm sure our young folk will tell you, to, uh, you know, just to be a Christian, let alone give a Bible out. So, so please, if you have any more information, or sorry, in questions, you know, come and, come and chat to Rob. And uh, Who else is part of Good News for Everyone in here? Wonderful. So if you look at the people whose hands are up, come and chat to them after the service over a coffee uh, and just see how you might be able to get involved. Wonderful. Is everybody still awake? Awesome. Right. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, we are closing out Luke 7 today. So since we started exploring Luke's gospel, we've been asking three key questions of the passages that we've been looking at. We've been asking, who was Jesus? What was his ministry? And what was his mission? And our reason for asking these questions were to help us understand the one in whom we serve as Saviour, Lord and King, to aid in our drawing closer to him, but also to encourage and inspire us to mimic the life of Jesus in our everyday life. We do this by understanding who we are in Christ, what our mission is, and what our ministry must be. So far, we've gone through the journey, haven't we? We've looked at Jesus' birth, his upbringing with Mary and Joseph, John the baptizer. I listened, John. I listened last week. John the baptizer, uh, his foretelling of Jesus' coming, Jesus' baptism, temptation. And we have been, for the last few months, looking through Jesus' early ministry life. We have seen Jesus declare the kingdom glory of God and show the power and authority of God by healing the sick and raising the dead and challenging the lifestyle of his hearers and his disciples in the way that they should live and encouraging them to model his life. Today we come to an event in Jesus' ministry which further helps us encapsulate Jesus' reason for being here, being here on the earth in the first place. An event that shows us not only the freedom and release from our burdens, our fears and our worries that is so often found through faith in Jesus, but also the tragedy when the mind and the heart is hardened to the power and the wonder of God. So let's, let's read together Luke 7, starting from verse 36. So one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. 
And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited, Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered, sorry, Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now, which of them will, ha will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Heavenly Father, it's such a privilege to open your word, to explore and expand upon the truth of your word. Lord, this morning I ask and I pray that you teach us, that you open our hearts, that you open our ears for all your spirit wants to say through me to us this morning. Amen. Amen. Well, what a beautiful and powerful encounter that has taken place in the home of the Pharisee. Two truths that you will find throughout the gospel is very rarely Jesus will decline to go and eat at someone's house. And two, nor he will never, ever turn away someone whose tears of a sinner never turn away the tears of a sinner and as we've seen in this these two things are true of this passage here it is clear that there were a few people present in Simon's house but the passage focuses on three main people firstly Jesus the hero of the story he's always the hero of the story isn't he but firstly we have Jesus then we have Simon the Pharisee and finally 
the sinful woman. Now, we don't know what sin the woman had committed or how she even got this title, but we do know her being a sinner is fundamental to the message in this passage. Simon, we are told, is a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, someone high up within society, well-respected, a man of honour, you may say, at total opposite ends of the cultural position that this sinful woman lives in. And then there's Jesus. How, how is Jesus portrayed in this powerful encounter? Well, the rumour around the town at that time is that he's a prophet. We can see that in verse 39. Simon believes him to be just a teacher, as we've read in verse 40. But the woman, the woman, she knows exactly who Jesus is. She knows that he is God, as we shall see and expand upon. As John quite helpfully shared with us last week, Jesus had just finished speaking to John the Baptizer's followers. John had sent them to him to ask, are you the one? Are you the one that was foretold? And obviously there was a big crowd as well that were listening to this happening and going on. And being perceived to be a prophet, one of these Pharisees who were in the crowd, Simon, invited Jesus to come back to have dinner. And on his arrival, we're told that he reclined at the table. Now, this is a word, reclined at the table, is a word that I've read so many times in Scripture, never quite fully understood what it means. So I had to look it up, and it makes perfect sense in the, in, the, in the light of the story. Reclining at table in those days, there was a centre table. And if you like, there were lots of, I'm sure it's different in different places, but generally, you would lay down against the table with your feet going out from the table and you're leaning in toward where the table is. You could be sitting up on your arm or on your elbow, however that works. But in essence, your feet were away from the table and your head and your upper body was toward where the food were, which makes perfect sense in the light of the, the story, as we shall see. As this is happening, this... Uh, th this woman, she enters the room. We do not know where she come from. We don't know how she got into the house. We don't know if she was already there. We don't know at all. But she came into the house, and all we are told is this, that she brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. We do not know what's happened in this woman's life. The story doesn't tell us, but we don't know what has caused her to be here in this moment in front of Jesus, broken and in despair. Why was she branded a sinner? 
Could be, could be loads of different reasons that she was branded a sinner. Was she a thief? Maybe, but unlikely. Was, had she, I don't know, had an affair? Was she involved in prostitution of the day, which was, you know, a big thing? We just do not know. But what we do know, and praise God that we know this, is that she left that place transformed and renewed. Praise God. That is the power that God has. I wonder, how does our sin make us feel? How does our sin make us feel? We all sin. We may not intend to, and we may not you know, intend to do it on purpose, but we all, we all fall short of the glory of God. How does our sin make us feel? It helps us just to get a bit of a picture as to maybe where this woman was in herself. See, Simon was a sinner. We get this picture, don't we, of Simon being this wonderful, righteous man. But he was a sinner. But in this moment, in this moment, he sits righteously and in his heart, he judges what's going on in front of him. In that moment, as he's watching this encounter between Jesus and this woman, this confirms something in Simon's mind. It confirms that Jesus wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a prophet. Because we read, and I quote, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. All Simon saw was the wrong and the sinfulness of the woman and how Jesus allowed her to touch him in the way described. This disqualifies Jesus as a prophet in Simon's eyes, demoting Jesus to nothing more as a teacher, as we read. Because did he not answer? Yes, teacher. He came in a prophet, but because of what Jesus had allowed this sinful woman to do, in Simon's eyes, that downgraded him straight to being just, he's just a teacher, he's not a prophet. But it's in this moment that the power and divinity of Jesus comes into play. Jesus knew Simon's thoughts. He knew Simon's thoughts and his judgmental attitude toward not only the woman, but also to Jesus himself. So what does Jesus often do in these moments when he knows someone's thoughts? He replies to them. Praise God he does. Simon, I have something to say to you. When Jesus says that, you need to sit up and listen, don't, don't you really? Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, yes, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and another 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt for both. 
Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Now, I think we would agree with Simon's uh, position on this, wouldn't we? It'd be no different to, let's, let's say, um, Fraser, I lent you a load of money to go and buy a house. You're welcome. <laughs> You're, well, you've got to pay me back, though. You've got to pay me back. And, and maybe I lent John a pound to go and get a packet of Harry Bows. But he's got to pay me back. Just go with it, John. Just go with it. All right. <laughs> but because I'm a kind-hearted soul, and I know you can't pay me back. I, just, you know, I, know, I know you can't pay me back a pound, John. <laughs> all right? So I'm going to say, Fraser, it's all right. Be blessed. Don't have to pay me back. Enjoy the house. John, don't have to pay me back. You enjoy those Harry Bows. Okay, right? Out of the two, out of the two, who's going to love me more? Absolutely, it's Fraser, isn't it? Absolutely, it is. You know, John's going to be like, don't like Harry Bows anyway. <laughs> but you, you get the point. You get the point. <laughs> Now, when Jesus, uh, we just need to clarify this quickly. When Jesus is saying love here, he's not talking about that mushy love that we all know. All right? He's talking about that uh, uh, unconditional, sacrificial love. Okay? So it's not that mushy human love that uh, we, we like to throw around. It's the same, it's the same words that we use uh, in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that agarpeo, so just to clarify there, you know, when I say love, I'm not saying you've got, you know, you've got to give me hugs and be mushy around me now, Fraser. All right, it's not that type of love. But we can see that Simon, in his reply to Jesus, totally understands the parable that Jesus is saying about the two debtors. Just as we did with a Haribo, maybe, in the, in the, in the house. But... Even though Simon thinks he's answered correctly, he could be farther from the truth of that passage than he thinks. Simon understood the parable but failed to see, he failed to see one of the main parts of the parable being played out right in front of his own eyes. He's sitting at the table watching this happen between Jesus and this, this woman. And he thinks he's answered this question wonderfully. Great, I've answered it. But he absolutely missed the point of the parable. We mustn't be too harsh on Simon, though. We can, we can so easily, in, in stories of the Pharisees, when, whenever Jesus has encounters with the Pharisees or the religious people of the day, we can so easily fall into that. Yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't be like that. Yeah, I would have said it differently. You know, come on, they're the, they're the religious people of the day. They should understand all these things. But the truth is, we are no different sometimes. We are no different sometimes. Every one of us, even myself included. So we have to be very, very careful when we sometimes fall into that judgment of looking at the Pharisees in their encounter and reaction with Jesus and actually sit up and listen to what's happening there.
But it's in this moment that something so beautiful happens. And actually, I, it took me two or three times of reading this through before I actually noticed it, and it was staring me in the face. Jesus turns to this woman, okay, he turns to the woman, and he's looking at her in the eyes, penetrating. Just imagine Jesus looking at you in the and it would just penetrate your soul, wouldn't it? Just grab hold of your heart. He's looking at her. And while he's still looking at her, he says, he says to Simon, he doesn't turn his face to Simon, he says to Simon, Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? I mean, what a moment. That in itself, looking into her eyes, Two things are happening. Simon's listening to what Jesus is saying to him, but in that moment, she's probably just so captivated by Jesus staring into her eyes. Do you see this woman? Jesus is inviting Simon, the religious leader, to see the woman as Jesus sees her. He's inviting Simon to do this the way Simon, as a religious leader, should see this woman. Jesus is inviting Simon to look past the label society has placed on her because of her sinful acts, whatever they may be, to see her brokenness, to see her desperation. You see, if Simon only sees this woman through the lens of society around him, her actions toward Jesus were only ever going to be improper in that time. It's only ever going to be improper. This woman crying in front of Jesus, improper. Allowing, you know, Jesus allowing this woman to, to cry onto his feet and using her hair to wipe it. That's improper. Women did not have their hair in, in normal society, women did not have their hair loose. It was seen improper, not acceptable. She definitely wouldn't be touching another man in public that wasn't her husband. So if Simon only ever saw this woman through the lens of society, these are all the thoughts he would have had. But Jesus didn't. Praise God, Jesus looks beyond all that. He sees what's happening in her heart. In her heart. And commends the woman's actions. He goes on and says, Simon, Simon, I came into your house and you gave me no water, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss or a greeting, which still is quite common around the world, on the cheek. You didn't, you didn't give me a kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. You, Simon, did not put oil on my head, but she poured pure perfume on my feet. Therefore, Simon, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved 
much. But he who has forgiven little, loves little. Could you imagine that in that moment, just hearing Jesus say that, that, oh gosh, you can imagine how, we, how, how just the relief, the release that woman must have had in that moment. You see, all these things that Jesus has just said, Simon should have shown Jesus as an act of hospitality when he came into his house. The roads were dusty. I'm sure many of you here have been, you know, to, uh, on the mission field or, you know, uh, anywhere that's hot and dry. You know the roads are dusty. And most of the time you walk around in flip-flops or sandals or something. Your feet gets dirty. So you offer water to the guests so that they can wash their feet. A kind gesture when you welcome someone into your home is to kiss them on the cheek. And it was common practice for a guest to be anointed with oil as a sign of honour. And it can be used for other things, but it's also a sign of honour. Simon did none of these things which gives us a very good picture of the lack of respect that Simon had for Jesus. And he was blind to who Jesus was. This woman, we don't know her name, but this woman knew exactly who Jesus was. She knew she was in the presence of God Almighty. In that moment, how she was perceived by society around her, by Simon sitting opposite and those who were reclining at table as well, did not matter one bit. It really didn't matter to her. Her tears poured from her eyes into Jesus' feet as her heart was breaking from the weight of whatever this sin was. The improperness of having her hair loose was a distant thought. She didn't care what people thought about that. And her bringing a jar of perfume, most likely the most expensive thing she probably owned, and pouring that over Jesus' feet for her was probably just pure honour. This is God. So the cost of that jar is nothing. I will honour God. But she couldn't care less what people thought of her in that moment, what Simon thought of her in that moment, because she was in the presence of Yahweh. She was in the presence of Elohim. She was in the presence of El Shaddai, God Almighty. And more importantly, and in the context of the brokenness and desperation of this woman, she was in front of, Je- in front of Jehovah Raphael, the Lord, her healer. And she was in front of Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, her peace. Wow. And then comes the words of truth spoken by Jesus, a truth for all who come to him, a truth for those who repent of their sinful, rebellious nature toward God, 
who surrender their lives to Jesus and dedicate their lives to him also, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Wow. You see, the degree of love being given matches the degree of the debt that had been cancelled. She came to be at peace and was restored in a room full of self-righteous, blind religious men. She was saved because she placed her faith in Jesus. She believed he was who he says he was and he, and he does what he says he will do. She came broken to wash the feet of Jesus with dirty hands but she left restored, whole, saved with clean hands. For Simon, Jesus was only ever the guest in the house. But for the woman, she, oh, she saw Jesus as Lord of her heart. That is the transforming, restoring power of Christ to anyone who calls upon him as Lord and Saviour. What a wonderful gift. What was the reaction? to all the other guests in that moment. Who is this man? Who is this man that can forgive sins? I sometimes think Jesus in his ministry, he left people with more questions than he ever did answers. But actually, isn't that a wonderful thing? Because it makes you go off to explore for yourself, to ask questions, to read, to study, to pray. Who is this man? We know who he is. Of course we do. But in those moments, he just left people wanting to know more. And praise God for that. But what's really interesting is we're not actually told what Simon's reaction was after this event. After this event of Jesus saying your sins are forgiven, we, we don't know. We only know about those who were with them their reaction. And I don't want to speculate, but there's a little part of me that actually hopes in that moment that Simon's eyes are opened, that he saw, maybe. We don't know, but I'd like to think so. I'd like to think so. As we look to bring this to a close, I'd just like to challenge us all, myself included, who are, me, who are we more like in this story? Are we more like Simon? Or are we more like the woman? Do we understand the severity of our debt that was paid by Jesus and come humbly to his feet? Do we truly understand that? Do we truly get that? Do we worship in proportion to the forgiveness we have received in Jesus? And I'm not, worship isn't just singing. Worship is our whole life, 
our dedication in all things, do we worship in proportion to the forgiveness we have received by Jesus? Or do we pay lip service to it every now and then when we're in conversation? Do we truly recognize and experience and know Jesus as our Lord, as our Savior, as our King, and as our God? Do we? And through our daily surrender to him, do we experience transformation and restoration? Remember, that's there. That doesn't stop the moment we become or give our life to Christ. Restoration is part of our journey of sanctification. Transformation is part of our journey of sanctification. It continues until the day we die. But you know what the wonderful thing is? We don't have to fight at that. We just have to step out and trust by faith and let God do the work. Our responsibility is faith. Whatever that looks like. And God, through the Holy Spirit, will do the rest. So do we see ourselves like that, or do we see ourselves maybe more like Simon? Do we see ourselves more like Simon? Casually engaging with Jesus, maybe merely just as an interesting teacher. Are there people here today who just see Jesus as an interesting teacher? Do we love the stories? Do we love the Bible? But actually that personal relationship is still something you might be struggling with. Might not necessarily have taken that step yet. I encourage you, take the step. Take the step. Are we like Simon, blind to the selfishness that lurks in our hearts? Are we blind to, the, to, to our judgmental egos? It's exactly what Simon was struggling with. Remember, he was a religious man. He knew the scriptures, he knew the Old Testament a lot better than we probably, probably we do. But he still had a judgmental heart. Do we sometimes fall into that trap? Who knows? Are we willing to come to church on a Sunday and listen to Jesus' stories, but unwilling to allow Jesus to change how we see people? And ultimately, maybe how we see ourselves. I wonder what unconfessed sin is harboring in our own hearts today. I wonder when was the last time we judged someone or maybe thought ourselves more highly than others. These are all traps that we fall into. Church Simon was a religious man, as we said, and he knew the scriptures, but that did not mean that he was safe from the sinful trappings of this world that we live in. 
This account wasn't about the sinful woman. She knew who Jesus was. She knew only he could restore her and heal her, and she came willingly and humbly to his feet. This encounter was about a self-righteous man who was unable to see his own need for repentance and forgiveness by God who was sitting right in front of him, but he failed to see. The beautiful thing about this is whether in this moment you recognize yourself more as the sinful woman or more as Simon, the truth still stands. He will forgive our sins if we truly have a repentant heart. He will restore us and pull us out of those pits that we find ourselves in, those pits of despair, of anguish, of self-doubt, of not knowing how to take one step further forward. He will pull us out of those pits. He will. But he will also pull us down. And he will strip us of our egos and open our eyes to see others as he sees others. And if, he, if we need that, he will do that. And again, I thank God for that. You see, as our passage, our parable says, as our parable says, when Jesus was sitting talking about the two debtors, there's a phrase in there which is so true. They couldn't pay the debt themselves. That is so true for every single one of us. There is nothing we could have done. There is nothing we could have done but stand before the judgment seat of God, a wrathful God. But Jesus. It's because of Jesus. That's why our debt was wiped clean for those who call upon him as Lord and Saviour. Praise God. Praise God. Is Jesus looking into your eyes today? Or if you're a Simon, is he looking in saying, do you see? Look beyond. Look, at, look beyond what you see in the mirror. Look at how Jesus sees you. He looks into your heart. If there are things we need to repent, let's repent. Let's get on our knees and just say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, just help me get back on the track, get back on the path. If you haven't given your life to Christ this morning, then please come and speak to us afterwards. We'll have a prayer down here after the service. Come and talk to one of us. Let us help you on that journey. But we cannot do it our own. We cannot pay the debt. Christ did that for us. Praise God. Remember, you are an image bearer of God. You are precious in his sight. And as he said to this woman, he wants you to be free from sin and walk out of this door today in peace. Because the truth is, and this comes back into what Rob was saying, Jesus tells us to go. But the reality is, 
we must be at peace in ourselves before we can share peace to a broken world. And that's my prayer for us all today. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, as we have seen throughout our journey of Luke, oh, there is so much to rejoice for. There is so much to rejoice for. Your goodness, your love, your compassion, your grace. But Lord, you didn't hold back from challenging, not, the, not just those people in the crowd, but also the religious leaders, those who had dedicated their life to you. And Lord, I know that sometimes during this journey of Luke, it can feel like it's a bit of a weight on our shoulders. But Lord, I thank you that you called us to love you, to love our neighbours and to walk by faith. You didn't put endless streams of, of tick lists and hoops to jump through. But you did challenge us and call us to continue a life of sanctification, to continue a life of becoming holy as you are holy in order that the world might see through us, your servants, your goodness and your love and the invitation to come to know you more. Lord, we thank you for this encounter that we read about today. I don't know whether we're a Simon or whether we're, a, we're a, as was represented, the sinful woman. But I know that you loved both Simon and the sinful woman. And I know that you want both Simons and the sinful woman. But you go about it in just slightly different ways. Help us to see you as the sinful woman saw you. To surrender ourselves, our lives to you. Every day, every moment. And to see you as you did when you looked in her face. So Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters all here today. I pray, Lord, that your peace that surpasses all understanding falls upon their hearts as we prepare to leave this place. Lord, people may have had really challenging weeks. They may be going through some really tough times. But Lord, I know that you are a God of comfort, that you are a God of restoration, and that you are a God of peace. And I pray that you go with us all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.